and welcome to Popular Podagogy. I am your host, Nathan Cheney. Previously on our podcast, we have been joined by a couple of researchers from the Queen's University Faculty of Education, who is the sponsor of our podcast. But we're going to switch it up a little bit today. Uh, today we are joined here by Paul Hanna, who is a retired administrator from the Upper Canada School District. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me in, Nathan. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So we're going to start off by talking about the fact that, well, we are on Queen's, and you are a Queen's alumni. So I just wanted to ask my first question, which is, can you tell us about your favorite moment from your time at Queen's, and maybe give us at least one funny story that you might not tell your students about? I had a lot of favorite moments, you know, um, favorite moments meeting people and, and, and making new friendships, many of those. But... A funny story was uh, is about a day I was walking down University Avenue, uh, University and Union. Walking along, something caught my eye, and I looked up, and there was a Volkswagen Beetle up in a tree. I mean, way up there. And it was nestled in the crotch of this tree, and uh, this, this Volkswagen was in the crotch, and, and I mean, it was up there, really high. So we figured out, we, we got talking, and somebody told us it was done by the, the engineering students the night before. But I was just amazed at how did they get it up there? What what kind of machinery did they use? I mean, yeah, they're engineers, probably a pulley, but like, wh- what what did they have? And uh, and then we all realized this is really stupid. We're we're standing <laughs> right underneath this Volkswagen Beetle up in a tree. That's an old tree. Who knows? It, you know, it could snap any minute. So we all of a sudden stepped back and got out of the way. Marveled at it for a while and, and moved on. I never heard anything about it again. The next time I walked by, it was gone. But it's not the kind of thing in science class that I would tell my students about when we're looking at pulleys. That, hey, you could put a Volkswagen up in a tree because I know it can be done. No, I wouldn't share that with the kids. <laughs> well, that's the kind of creative project-based learning that we have here at Queen's where we uh, we spend nights trying to figure out how to put cars in trees and then gawk at it the next day, yeah, I guess. It was amazing. So you went to the Faculty of Education here. You did your Bachelor of Education here? No, I no. did my Bachelor of Ed here. Okay. And then took about 15 years, and then I and I went back and got my uh, Bachelor of Ed at York. Okay. And then how did you get into teaching after that? What made you decide to go back? Interesting story. Um, all my life I always thought, you know, I, I would like teaching, but I got into another career and decided to leave that. It's, it's kind of funny. I have a couple of stories that maybe fate maybe pushed me in this direction. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Queens, back in 72 when I, when I applied. I had left school. I'd left after grade 12, and I just wasn't liking high school. So I, I went out, worked for a year, and decided, no, this is not for me. I, I'm going to go back to school. But I thought, oh, okay, how am I going to do this? I'm going to have to go back to grade 13. I left high school because I just didn't like the groove. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I was getting myself around to it. I was working in Toronto. I came home for the weekend and picked up the newspaper and was just going through it, saw this thing, this, this notice from Queen's University where they were offering a special program to let 50 people in who had grade 12, had been off school for a year and were working and wanted to go back. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. That's pretty much set up right for you. Wow. So I went, okay, I'm going to apply to this. I, I got in. I was thinking maybe fate pushed me that way a little bit. Working, you know, for 15 years, I kept having this recurring dream. And it was happening a lot. It was... Uh, I was in school, and I had this awful feeling that I had some kind of unfinished business. And I always woke up from that dream thinking I was back in school, and, and I was uh, behind in my work, and I had 
overdue assignments, and I was a little stressed about it in the dream. But it was, man, recurring all the time. After work, I decided, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I, want, to, I want to try teaching. So, again, <laughs> York was offering this special program where you had to be out of school for quite a while. You had to be in your 30s. And uh, I applied and got in. So it was just kind of, and I kind of stumbled upon that one as well. So when I say, I think on a couple of occasions, fate pushed me this way, uh, I do. <laughs> it's because the way it happened. You know, that opening that newspaper, seeing the thing for Queens, uh, and then finding out about this York program. And, and, and it was a special program. And everybody in it, we were all in our 30s. So it was just kind of both times uh, fate opened the door for me. It was a little weird. Yeah. But, but that dream, as soon as I got into York, was doing the education thing, they stopped. And I've never had them again. So I don't know. Pretty weird. <laughs> that is pretty weird. That's pretty cool, though, that, it you, is had, cool. It is that cool. you had that opportunity, that there was two programs, yeah. completely different yeah. universities, completely different opportunities. And, right at know, the time that I wanted it right to happen, it, right. it just it was weird. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool. So then you became a teacher, and you taught for 10 years. Um, yeah, it was about 10, uh, let me see, 1992. Yeah, about 10 years. So yeah. did you find that having a previous career first actually helped you when you were oh, yeah. uh, when you were getting into the teaching field? Like, how would that have helped you? Well, I just, I'd been out in the world more, done a lot of different things. Rather than going from kindergarten to being a teacher, I, I had some time out, and um and I think I had a great appreciation for education, public education, because you always, you know, you always appreciate things more when you get away from them. Right. You know, and, and you're away from them and you learn to miss them a bit. You have greater appreciation. So. And then you transitioned into an administrative position. So when you transitioned into your administration position, looking back now, if you could give yourself some advice as you were switching into that position, what do you think that would be? Listen to people more, you know. I, I listen to people a lot, but... Give them the opportunity to really excel at what they did. And I, and I worked on that, but I would do it even more. And just be aware of what's going on. Read about pedagogy, mm -hmm. podagogy, if you want. <laughs> guys like Michael thanks, Fulton. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, 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 we yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. that. Guys like Michael Fulton. Read that stuff, but also, too, get into the ministry documents. We have some amazing mm -hmm. ministry documents now mm -hmm. that weren't there when I first started teaching. Like the, the learning for all, the growing success, those documents really know them. If you if you want to be a leader, yeah. you got to know that stuff. And I didn't know it as well as I should have. But in hindsight, my advice would really dig into those. And and you know, in the courses uh, we have at Queens, you know, there's the uh, extra resources page, mm -hmm. and there's some amazing whoever put that together. Uh, there's some amazing documents there for for any teacher. If you go to that page and go through all those documents. You're going to be a stronger teacher, you're going to be a stronger leader, and you're going to know what you're doing. And so I guess my advice, really know what you're doing. Because if you're going to lead people, you've you got to be able to walk the talk. So as a shameless plug, that's one thing that I think actually AQ and ABQ courses do really well, yeah. is that they kind of gather all of these different resources that are out there and they're yeah. available, but they, they highlight the areas that are really important for teachers to actually take. We're not changing the world. We're not showing you something that's not already in existence. Yes, what, what AQ and ABQ courses are doing is we're actually putting all of these resources in one place to make it easier because teachers are busy. It's really hard to go out and find all of these because yeah. the ministry documents, as you said, are there, but it's it's not easy to go and find all of these different documents and then find other resources and additional resources on top of that. And so that's one thing that I would say when I was taking an AQ course and, and when I see people taking AQ courses and the feedback that we get from those courses, that's something that I would say is, 
is really quite positive is, is how all of these resources are in one place and it yeah. makes it easier for them to, to gather that. You're retired now. Mm-hmm. You said you started teaching in... 1990 was the first year. 1990? Yeah. So how did the education system change from 1990 all the way... And I know this is a big question, but up until when you retired. And how would you recommend, because it's going to continue to change, it's, yeah. it's the nature of education. How would you adapt to those changes, and how would you recommend to teachers that they should continue to adapt? When I started, uh, when I was at Teachers College, uh, whole language was the big deal. And, you know, there were some strengths to whole language, but it didn't work out all that well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we dropped it. So we had whole language going on, and it was hard for a lot of us to get our heads around it because we weren't taught that way. So for, for people who might not know what whole language is, can you give a 30-second synopsis? Well, it was kind of like a laissez-faire, you know, give the kids the books, and they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll be able to do it, you know. There wasn't an awful lot of direction, and there was less emphasis on phonics and that sort of thing. And, you know, I wouldn't say programs should be all phonics, but there wasn't a balance. You know, that's the whole thing about education and and, and many things in life. You have to have balance. So I I came out of uh, teacher's college not knowing an awful lot about how how to teach kids how to read. Right. Really important. And we had the common curriculum. You know, that wasn't in for very long. It was brought in by the NDP government. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in place for just a couple of years. And uh, it had some brilliant ideas, brilliant activities, really cool things for kids to do. However, uh, there was very very little direction. By the end of grade three, kids will know how to do this, and dot, 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 dot. Okay, well, there's a problem there by the end of grade three. So you've got grade one, grade two, grade three. So what do you got? Little Billy goes to school in Kingston, and they, they teach this, these particular expectations. Goes to another school somewhere else in the province, and the school, maybe they didn't do that. Maybe, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like. It's really hard. It's really hard. So as a teacher, I went. I don't know. I mean, all of these exp- all these things are really cool, but I'm only I can only do so much in one year. I, I don't know if that's going to jive with the school in another city or in, in another school in the district. So it uh, left a lot of openness there for teachers, and it just it didn't last very long. Uh, the Harris government came in and they brought in the curriculum that we have now, which I think is a really good curriculum. And it was more laid out, you know, grade one, here's what you're going to do, your overall, your specific expectations, so that if a student went from one district to another, I mean, there was some real continuity there. That might be the first time in my life that I've heard anyone give credit to the Harris government for doing something positive for education. Yeah, and I'm no big fan, let me tell you that. (laughs) However, I'll give it where it's due. Yeah. And and I think it is good, good curriculum, and we still have it. And I really don't hear teachers complaining about the overall – and the specific expectations we have, they're good. They're solid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is good curriculum. But Mike Harris didn't write it. And he just <laughs> had some good people there that, to do it, right? So it, it wasn't a political thing. Well, actually, there were some political things in the curriculum that I disagreed with in the social studies and things around environmental issues. And that's a whole other podcast. We can, we yeah, can save that yeah, one yeah, for yeah. another time. But anyways, but getting back to it, they've tweaked it over the years. And I, and I think we have some, some really – the Ontario curriculum – is acknowledged all around the world as being really top-notch. So we'll give credit where credit's due. So where was I going with this? How things have changed? Yeah. So with that, uh, more accountability was brought in for teachers. And I'd never heard of rubrics before. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be, you know, you'd have a test. And Which is crazy to think about because that's, I mean, I went through, you know, the faculty of education a little while ago now. And all we were, or all that happened to us is that we were just hit over the head with rubrics, rubrics, yeah, rubrics. Yeah, you got to use rubrics everywhere yeah, you yeah. go. Assessment is important. 
important. Assessment so, drives instruction. Right, yeah. yeah. So the rubric thing, wow, a lot of teachers had meltdowns over that. You know, I had to spend <laughs> a lot of time getting my head around it, and so did parents. Yeah. Uh, but when you think about it, out in the real world, if, if uh, I used to say to the parents, you know, your, your child plays hockey, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you went to your son's coach and said, how's my boy doing? You wouldn't be happy with the coach. Well, he's, about an 80, he's had about an 80%. You wouldn't want that. You'd want to say, yeah, he stick handles really well. Maybe he needs to work on skating backwards. Uh, he has a good overview of the game. He knows the rules and all that. You break. That's like a rubric. Right. And that's how you do it in real life. That's how you assess things in real life. This notion of, you know, you got 90 or you got 80 out of 100 in what? <laughs> and and was it knowledge and understanding? Was it was it an application? Those, those test results didn't tell you anything, right? Other than how your child did out of a hundred, maybe against the other students in the class. So uh, that really sold me on the idea of rubrics because it made a lot of sense and it gave more information about where the students were. The other thing too is I've always been a big fan of Bloom's taxonomy, mm-hmm. the higher level thinking, right? And you can't really get a, a judgment on that from a, a number, 75%. If you go through those rubrics, they naturally lend themselves to the, the levels of thinking. It makes a lot of sense. So that, getting back to your question, you know, the, the accountability piece was really good. And, frankly, I spent a lot of time getting my head around that, getting around the, the expectations. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You have to bundle them together. You just can't teach one at a time. So there's a lot of work involved with that. And the report cards. Oh, my God. We went from one-page report cards to longer ones where you had to do a lot of comments. And uh, the comments had to follow the rubrics. So there was a real uh, learning curve for teachers. So th- that was one of the changes, mm-hmm. getting to that. And then uh, there was a lull for a while. And so when I went into the spec ed rule, they, they gave us time to consolidate and put it all together. So there, there was that uh, around 2000, maybe to about 205, maybe a little... 2005, a little later, and then they came out with uh, Learning for All yep. and and uh, Growing Success, and I love that uh, because it gets into this notion, and, and the IEPs, yeah, that's another thing. IEPs weren't all that common when I first started, and now we have a lot of IEPs, and justifiably so. So the Learning for All, the, the uh, Growing Success, the differentiation is something that then we had to really get into because before... We were asked to program for all these kids, but we weren't really given the tools. We weren't given the documents. But the ideas in those documents now really make it easier for, for teachers to put that together and do it in a sensible way, in a, in, a, in a way that you can do within the time constraints you have. So, yeah, those are the changes. We're at a good place, I think, in Ontario right now uh, with that. Uh, when you marry, uh, I'm a big fan of um, Howard Gardner, too, mm-hmm. you know, the, the multiple intelligences yep. and preferred learning style. When you when you look at learning for all, growing success, and you bring in my gardener if you want, it's a lot easier to program for these kids appropriately and, and to get them through Bloom's taxonomy, which is so important. Right. I mean, you know, the corporations, they're, they're saying, we want critical thinkers. This is what we want. And the path is there, and, and I think Ontario should be very proud of its public education system. Yeah, so we had one of our researchers from Queens on, actually, um, a little while ago, and, and uh, she talked about the importance of play-based learning in, in early childhood education. Yep, yep. And one of the things that came up was the idea of how it actually promotes that critical thinking and a mm-hmm. lot of the presentation skills and, and oral communication skills that go along with that and 
how that ties into the education system. And when we were in a traditional education system, we weren't necessarily teaching those skills. So I think a lot of what you just talked about is the changes in our education system along the way. It actually ties in a lot with those ideas, right, is we're we're teaching those higher level thinking skills. We're trying to get to those higher level thinking skills. And there's definitely been resistance to those types of ideas as well. And and it's it's funny how you say how much resistance there was to rubrics because now rubrics are such a part of everyday schooling. Absolutely. Um, but the idea that they weren't always there, it, it might be surprising to a lot of people. So I think that's a really interesting way of, of looking at it and, and adjusting that way. Well, uh, just on top of that, yeah. too, you know, it's funny. I, I, I was on the Internet looking at something, and I saw this picture. And it was a picture of um, a factory, and it was just rows of, of women on sewing machines, and that's what they were doing. And there was a picture of kids from the 50s, rows, doing, you know, the work by themselves. I mean, that was the model. Back then, you know, industrial uh, age, um, tail end of it, people really didn't have to be all that critical. Yeah, and they're thinking, or collaborate. You know, or collaborate, you know. And so our school system is always going to be a reflection of what's going on in society mm-hmm. and what's going on with, uh, you know, corporations and, and the work and that's true we, we we train kids for work but we also train them for their mental health and right. all, all those things but it's interesting uh, it was the industrial model and the industrial model is not going to work for us anymore so all of that and the play-based learning i'm a big fan of that man you go to a kindergarten classroom it's <laughs> wow it's busy <laughs> that was my exact that was and, my exact and, response and actually it's noisy but wow, those kids are really producing a lot. It's like a construction site, you know? They're, yeah. they're building things. Yeah. There's a lot of noise, and uh, it's pretty cool to go in and see. But man, I wouldn't want to teach it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, that was, I believe, my exact response when we were yeah. talking last week, there last time. So, just really quickly, I, I, you touched on a lot there. How would you recommend teachers adapt to changes in the education system? Because they are coming. And teachers, we know one of the most important skills is to be adaptable. But. Uh, that doesn't mean that it can't be a challenge sometimes. Yeah, when you're yeah, up yeah. against one of those challenges, when you're up against having to change the way that you think or the way that you look at particular ways of learning, how, how would you recommend teachers address that? Lean on your colleagues. If you're by yourself, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. Well, you, yeah, you can, but it's going to be very difficult. Right. But lean on your colleagues, work with them, collaborate, uh, do those things, and you'll survive and you'll do well and you won't feel alone. Uh, that's the, the bottom line. Is, is, is to lean on your colleagues, stay positive, yeah, and love the kids. Mm-hmm. You love those kids, everything else will fall into place. So really quick, uh, we're going to get to a couple more things before we get to a bit of a break. So you currently teach AQ and ABQ courses for the Continuing Teacher Education Department at Queen's. We've touched a little bit on that so far this podcast, but what are some of the challenges that are associated with teaching other teachers, huh. uh, particularly in an online environment? Honestly, I don't find a lot of challenges, to be honest, because they're all professionals, mm-hmm. and they're doing it for a good reason. Uh, a lot of them going into leadership, mm-hmm. maybe going to be principals, and so they're they're on top of it, you know. And then there's a lot of young teachers starting out wanting mm-hmm. to upgrade, and they're enthusiastic, and, they, and they've got it all going on in terms of, of, <laughs> of working hard and being collaborative and all that. So not a lot of challenges that way. Uh, the challenges are helping people who, um, you know, are, are not uh, used to online. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you got to help them a lot in the beginning. Once you get them going, after a week or two, they're on a roll, but they'll miss things. And, and I've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this since 2005, so 
I could sort of anticipate what's going to happen with some people. And I'll say, by the way, you know, you, you might want to look at this or go to this or check this out. And, and that's, uh, it was a bigger challenge then. But now, like I said, I can sort of anticipate things that are, that are going to come. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's like I say, the people who are taking these courses, they're, they're, they're in the right headspace. Yeah. And they're doing it for a reason because, you know, they're giving up their time. It's costing them money. Uh, but they have their eye on the prize, whatever that is. Upgrade, uh, more qualifications to get a job or to get a, a leadership role, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it makes it easy. All right, we'll be right back, but first we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Are you an occasional teacher looking to improve your job prospects? Are you an experienced teacher trying to reach the next pay scale? Are you interested in improving your overall teaching practice? Queen's Continuing Teacher Education has you covered. With easy-to-access online courses, you can log on to your course from anywhere you have access to the Internet. Courses offered by CTE range from special education to technological education to safe and accepting schools. Queen's CTE courses work with your schedule, have supportive, expert instructors that want to help you succeed. Registration is fast and easy with no commitment to pay until the Friday before the course starts. What are you waiting for? Visit coursesforteachers.ca for more information or to sign up today. That's coursesforteachers.ca. And we're back with our guest, Paul Hanna. So, Paul, you were recently highlighted in the CTE newsletter which if you are not already subscribed, I highly suggest that you subscribe. We just send out some professional development resources and lesson plans from our instructors. So it's a really good resource. You can find that on coursesforteachers.ca. But now that I'm done my shameless plug, when you were on the newsletter, you gave out quite an interesting lesson plan. So can you just give us a quick overview of the lesson and why you think it's valuable to the students in our changing education system? Yeah, uh, it's a, it was a lesson on making inferences. And uh, it was part of a school improvement plan push to get more collaboration going with teachers and to get kids uh, better at making inferences. I mean, it's one of the things that comes up in EQA results every year, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. It was always amazing. Uh, You'd sit down to look at it, and you knew that the kids were, were, were lacking in making inferences. And those are important things. We, you know, kids make inferences every day. They, they learn very quickly, and I put this in the lesson plan. They, they learn that, you know, looking up and seeing clouds moving in and birds scattering around the sky, you can make the inference that, that it's going to rain because you've seen that before. Inferences are a big part of life and um, important skill. So we put that le- lesson together. I, I put it together with Kathy Bow, who is also uh, an instructor for Queens. Mm-hmm. So I was in a rather unique situation. I, I'm, I'm collaborating with Kathy in school, with our own school community, but I'm also collaborating with her from time to time quite a bit on courses because we teach the same course. So we have a good working relationship that way. Mm-hmm. And I put that with her and another teacher. They were sharing a class because Kathy's also a spec ed teacher. So she was sharing a, a grade one, two class with, a, with another teacher. Uh, so we put that lesson together and um, I really liked it. It, it, was, it was fun to do. And, and I got a chance to go into the classroom and do a little bit of teaching too, which was Really nice to get back in with with the kids. And it was all about making inferences. And I had, uh, a few years before, I was home one day with with the dog. 
and I got this idea to start taking some pictures. And it was all about him losing his toy out in the snow. But I made all these pictures, and as the story unfolded, I wrote this little book. But it was all about Angus, my dog, making inferences. And so I was able to take that book that I had, because I took all these pictures yeah. and put it in, and it's called Angus Finds Chippy. <laughs> and just loaded with inferences that he makes. You know, uh, so as read to the kids, the kids were able to make inferences, but they were making inferences about the dog making inferences. So it was really neat. And for them, it was very close to home because it was my dog. Right. And they knew I had done it. So it was and any time you can make it personal like that, kids, yeah, they're always yeah, way yeah. more invested. They, they get a kick out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and they did. They sure did. So in the lesson plan, you talked about how, the, and not to give too much away, I want everyone to go read the lesson plan and see everything, but you talked about uh, how after the lesson plan you had some students who actually yeah. started making inferences in, in their day-to-day school mm-hmm. school days and, and their lives. Can you give us a little bit more information about that? Yeah, in that class, there's a lot of sharing about, you know, what kids do, you know, at, at home, out on the yard, on the bus. And um, these these kids were coming up with stories about making the inferences. And we, we put a big emphasis on vocabulary. And so they were able to articulate their experiences using the vocabulary, which I really liked. But it was, uh, you know, one one story came to me, a little fellow was sent down to my office, and uh, he'd had a conflict with some of the other kids. But in the conversation with him, I was able to find out that he had made a lot of inferences, and through his inference making, the the conflict didn't escalate as much as it may have normally would have. So that, that was really cool, to see the kids... Uh, talking about their inferences at home with their brothers, sisters, in their family, out at a soccer game, on the bus, or out on the yard having having some conflicts. So we know that it worked fairly well. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was quite rewarding. And it also, uh, because, you know, the student was talking about making inferences from the body language, uh, that really tied into some drama stuff, drama activities, especially for older kids. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, you know, uh, what is it, 70, 75% of communication is body language. Right. And and when you're doing body language, you're making inferences like crazy, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a fun exercise and rewarding for us to do. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the part that I really took away from it is, you know, it's great when students get what your lesson is and they're using it in the class and using it in, in that kind of context. But whenever you are outside of a classroom setting and you can see that the students are actually taking what they learned and applied it, it always uh, makes it a little bit more authentic and real and and it hits home a little bit more for you as a teacher because you know that you've actually connected and, and gotten through to them. So I, I would uh, sorry to interrupt you, but no, I would say, not at you all. know the credit goes to Kathy and uh, Carrie because you know they they work that class so well. Yeah. And they have those conversations and they're able to reinforce things in an authentic way. So mm-hmm. kudos to them for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to move now to uh, what we think is our favorite segment, uh, which is the classroom confession segment. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't tuned in before, this is an opportunity for uh, our teachers to come on and, and talk about something that their students or themselves have done in the class that might be a little bit embarrassing or a little bit funny. Um, and if you've taught in a classroom or if you are going to become a teacher, uh, you'll have lots of moments like these, um, and you kind of learn to appreciate them, and you'll remember them. And a lot of the times your students will remember them. So, Paul, do you have a classroom yeah. confession for today? Yeah, I do. Not so much a classroom. I mean, in my office as a principal. But yeah. in my office as a principal, I always saw myself as a teacher. I was always looking for teachable moments. But <laughs> this one was really funny, for me anyway. 
I had this little guy who used to, he needed a body break every day mm-hmm. at a certain time. He, he would come down to my office, and we would go out into the, to the building, and if the gym was empty, I'd have him run around the gym, and I would time him. And so we were keeping track of his timing, and that's what motivated him. But really what it was, he needed to run off some steam. So we would do that, or we would do, if the gym was uh, full, we would do safety inspections. So he, it was an important job that he helped me with. This little guy was down a lot, and um, he was down one day just as the National Anthem was playing. And my window was open a bit, and I had this balloon, a helium balloon that was floating, and it was a balloon with the Canadian flag. It was just amazing. The anthem came on, and, and the wind started moving the balloon, and it looked so much like it was dancing to the National Anthem. And wouldn't you know it, when the National Anthem stopped, the wind stopped, and it stopped moving. And this little guy was looking at it with me, and, and I said, look at that, it's dancing. He's, he, the balloon's dancing to the National Anthem, and he was just blown away by it. And he left and went, oh, okay. Next day, he comes back down to my office, looks at the balloon, and he goes and he starts singing on Canada. <laughs> and the balloon's not doing anything. <laughs> and, uh, and he starts singing louder. <laughs> and he's at a point where he is singing so loud. My door is open. And this is a school built in the 70s, so it's open concept. There's no doors wide open. Yeah, I could just hear his voice echoing all around the school. <laughs> it was hilarious. So I stood behind him. And I was blowing the balloon to make it dance. <laughs> he says, Mr. Hannah, I made it work. And I said, yeah, you did. You know, like, wow, that's so great. And he left. And oh, you know, what am I doing here? You know, I'm kind of fooling this little guy, uh, deceiving him. But at the same time, there's magic. Right. Right? And so who am I to spoil that magic for this little guy? Because his eyes were so wide and he was so proud of himself. <laughs> Next day, back down again. <laughs> and singing, singing as loud as he could. And, you know, it, it kept up for a little while. But eventually the helium um, went out of the balloon and it sort of disappeared. Out of sight, out of mind, he stopped doing it. It was all well and good. But I was a little conflicted about, okay, should I be fooling this little guy? But, man, that new, that magic was just so great for him. He needed that. Right. And the thing is, I mean, we tell him there's a Santa Claus. Right. You know, so, yeah, the, the balloon was dancing to old Canada. It was a very patriotic balloon, and it was great. That, so, to me, I mean, it may not be funny to some people, but if you knew this little guy, he's so cute. And just to see him do that, but to raise his voice and sing louder. Well, and it, it gives him something that uh, he can he can hold on to, and it probably made his day that day. Oh, yeah. And it's it's one of those things that, you know... Down the road, he might look back and say, oh, what was I thinking and what was I doing? But yeah, yeah. in the meantime, it, it was it was something special for him, yeah. so I'm sure that's... Yeah, yeah, and, and a few people on staff knew what was going on, and then when it was happening, if they were down at the aisle, they'd stick their head in, they'd, they'd see me standing behind this little guy, you know, participating <laughs> in this uh, big deception, but no, it, it was cool. He was, he was a great little guy, and he wouldn't hate me for it, so I, I don't have a guilty conscience, but it was really uh, cute. Okay. It's those kind of things that you have to hang on to and go with it and go with the magic because that's, that's what it's all about for those little guys mm-hmm. and girls. Yeah. Um, so normally when we have our researchers on here, we ask them if they have anything to promote or to plug. Do you have anything that you want to talk about that you're doing right now? Well, you know, uh, what I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm retired, so I'm keeping myself busy. So I'll plug that with anybody who goes into retirement. Keep yourself busy. <laughs> And, uh, and, and I'm doing the Queen's Courses. And I love teaching the Queen's Courses. I love it because it keeps me on top of it. Uh, they're good courses. And um, 
and I find them really interesting. Um, it's going to be a long time before I can let go of education because uh, because that dream, you know, that dream I talked about earlier, it told me, you know, you you got to be teaching. So I still have my uh, I'm still involved with that, and um, yeah, I'd recommend uh, you know people to just keep doing the professional development because that's what I'm doing, and I, and I don't have to. Well. Yeah, the money doesn't work. Hurt. But you know what I mean. Uh, it, it, it's good for me, and uh, and, I, and I do like it. Uh, I like the content, and I like staying on top of it because public education is so important, and we have to uh, we have to do what we can to keep it alive and keep it strong. And for teachers to do what they're doing, I mean, they're sacrificing a lot of their time and uh, putting a lot. In. So kudos to them for for uh, doing that professional development. And uh, and strengthening public education because without it, you know, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Paul, for coming in today and, and spending some time with us and sharing some stories. We really appreciate it. And uh, I haven't done this on the first two podcasts, but we want to make sure we have a uh, special thank you to our producer, Candice, who cleans up everything that we do on here and makes it sound presentable. Yeah, so, make it sound good, Candice. Yeah, a big thank you uh, to her. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Popular Podagogy. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher as well as on the CFRC and Faculty of Education websites. Uh, please subscribe, and if you like what you're hearing, give us a review and rating, um, and we'll see you next time. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.